This is a Liverpool Echo podcast on Anfield Plus, the home of your daily podcasts, bringing you the inside track from Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to the View from the Cop podcast. I'm your host, Paul Wheelock, and as always, I'm very pleased to be joined by two Liverpool season ticket holders, Paul Philbin. Hello. And Dan Kay. Hello. You really should start charging commission, given the amount of <laughs> podcasts you've graced our presence with this week. You'll be hearing from my agent, don't worry. Oh, God. <laughs> Look forward to the call. Uh, before we just start, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's been listening to this show, View from the Cop. It's gone down really well since we've started uh, uploading it to all the major platform, uh, podcast platforms, I should say, as well as the Anfield Plus section of the LFC Echo app. And if there's anything you'd like us to, to cover or anything you think we can improve on, drop us a tweet on Twitter. I'm at Paul Wheelock. Dan, what are you on? At Dan Kay. I'm Paul. And I am at Paul Philbin. Good stuff. Right, we're, we're going to do something a little different today. Uh, with it being the international break, we're going to rate the players who've appeared for Liverpool so far this season, one by one. There's not too many, don't worry. Before rounding off the podcast by previewing the start of the Champions League, because the time we return with this podcast in a couple of weeks, the Paris Saint-Germain game will have taken place. But let's start with those uh, rate the players. Let's have a go at this. And let's start at the back. Mr. Alison Becker, the big money signing in this summer. The solution to all the problems. How has he got on apart from that uh, that mistake, which I'm sure we've all talked about since last on Saturday? Well, I think he was nailed on for a solid eight and a half, nine, wasn't he? <clears throat> Until his uh, his moment of madness at the Walker's Stadium or the King Power Stadium, as it's known as these days, on <clears throat> Saturday afternoon. I mean, we've all had you know best part of a week to kind of think about it, digest it, and to my my kind of take on it really is kind of what it, largely what I felt at the time kind of like I think even Jurgen Klopp said himself I think we all knew something like this was going to happen against Brighton the week before uh, the Saturday before there were a couple of he kind of got himself out of dodge a couple of times you know aside from the glorious little chip over Knockhart and in many ways it was kind of like the perfect scenario it was uh, <clears throat> the kind of mistake that will make him stop and just think about his game a little bit it made him and everybody else sweat and suffer for half an hour but it didn't really cause any significant harm in the grander scheme of things, so I'm going to give him. A, I'm going to give him an eight. I mean, let's be honest, he hasn't had an awful lot of work to do, has he? Really, but what he has to do, he's he's done. He's done well. He made one good save first half at Leicester. Good save late on against Brighton to preserve the three points against the against the Seagulls there. Um, so yeah, you know, he's still finding his feet, and I think I would imagine by the time the next kind of like stanza of games is finished and early to mid-October, we'll, we'll have a lot more to talk about Alison and, and how he's shaping between the sticks. How do you think, Paul? You know, is he, is he, is he looked the goalkeeper you wanted Bring back to many laces, Paul. No, absolutely <laughs> no chance. I'm happy with him. I, um, I'm actually made, not made up, but I'm happy that he's had that mistake already because you'd rather it be in, well, it was just September, wasn't it, against Leicester away than in April when it could even be more important and the fact that he has made the mistake as Dan said it will make him think twice and straight away it made him think twice because there was three four times after that mistake against Leicester that he just got rid of it Uh, the Leicester fans were on his back and it was if he just went ah I'm not having this I'm just gonna get rid of it and didn't mess about he hasn't really messed about though Apart from that, like what he's done is being calculated. It's not as if he's went, oh, I'm a, I'm a goalkeeper who can play football. I'm just gonna test me luck here. He has what he's done. Apart from that, is being correct. 
and he's also won us a few points already early on this season. Like I know Dan said he hasn't had much to do, but what he's had to do has been crucial in crucial moments mm. the save against Brighton, the free kick against Crystal Palace as well, and there was another moment in Crystal Palace against Crystal Palace. I think it was one I of the did, co- against Palace in particular. I thought, yeah, we did come under a bit of pressure second half, and it's a hard place to go. They're always good from set pieces, and I just thought he just provided that reassuring presence which you need at Palace. They're one of those kind of teams, one of those kind of crowds where if they sense a little bit of vulnerability, they can capitalise on it. And what 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 it, what pleased me so much about that performance is that we never gave them any 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 gimmies, any daft parries or soft corners or soft punches um, I mean you could argue you know against Brighton there were a couple of times we, we tried to take on I think it was Glenn Murray both times and maybe overdid it slightly but um, you know but there's been the odd moment here and there but I think I think you'd have to be hypercritical to be starting to express any any concerns about him um, you know with the, the, we've paid the money and we talk about you know the penny dropping and not overdoing it I mean then he's been brought in because you know a modern goalkeeper needs to be comfortable with the ball at his feet and he's not going to change his game fun, you know fundamentally and you know it's about the right time and the right place and maybe you know it's a different the, the pace of the game in England is different than what it is in Italy and I think there was always going to be a certain bedding in period and probably still will be you know it's it's not like we're never going to concede a goal again, or he's never ever going to make a mistake again. I think I read at the weekend that that was his first mistake that's led to a goal in 50 games. So if we wait another 50, then I don't think anyone will be complaining too much about that. Until then, I was convinced we weren't going to concede a goal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's going to take me a while to not be convinced by him, but be convinced by a Liverpool goalkeeper, because even still, when we concede the corner, I'm like, oh, there we go. Mm. Even though he started with every... like. All corners and set pieces like well it's been a piece of cake for him really hasn't it really easy definitely let's turn our attention to the fullbacks Trent Alexander-Arnold Andy Robinson probably the two finds of last season or two of the major success stories there are a lot of success stories but particularly those two young lads Robinson Scotland captain this week Trent is back off with England again but at one point, Klopp said that you know he could pick up the game a little bit after the Palace, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah, and yeah, there's been some suggestion that Alexander-Arnold's been overcooking his crosses, or have they both just set so high standards for themselves? Yeah, I think particularly for Trent, he's kind of you know the phenomenal progress, and obviously he does have this real connection, I think, with the with the supporters, obviously particularly the local supporters being a scouser and a you know a West Derby lad himself. Um, yeah, I think it's sort to give him more than a seven. He's been he's been he's been steady at best, Trent. So a few of his crosses have been over overcooked and overhit. But just seeing him on the pitch, just seeing a young scouse lad at right back who having done what he's done so far. I mean he listen, he can't rest on his laurels. And you know, if 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 it's not enough just to have a scouse accent to pull that shirt on. But I think there was always likely to be a certain element of I know he didn't play much during the World Cup, but he was still away there during it. You know, you know he won't have had an awful lot of uh, that longer break during the summer. Um, so I'd, I'd give him a, uh, I'd give him a, a solid seven. Andy Robbo's version on a nine, I think. Um, he has carried off, carried on where he left off. Set up the first goal of the season for Mo Salah against West Ham. He's had, uh, you know, a big impact in. It obviously, set up the set up the goal for Mane, Mane the opener yeah. on Saturday as well. Always looks a threat going forward. Always looks pretty solid at the back. Rightly named captain captain of his country this week, and um, he's just been a revelation. And you know, I've been going on for years and years. I want us to sign more. 
I want more signers like Sammy Hippier for 2.6 million. Well, I think you know he may well be. It, you know, without wanting to curse him, he is already looking like the modern equivalent of that. With the, you know, the eight million Liverpool players paid Hull last summer is already starting to look an absolute steal. I agree with what everything that Dan said again. And the thing with fullbacks for me is, if you're not talking about them, they're doing a job. Because I know in the modern game, fullbacks need to be doing more than just doing a job. But if they're steady and nobody is talking about them. It's a good start. There will be times this season where you will be talking about both full-backs. Well, you have done with Robbo, sort of, like with his assists against Palace and um, Leicester. But with Trent, that moment will come as well. He will score a few goals. He will start... I agree that his uh, crosses have been a bit overcooked, but that will come with time. You've got to remember with Trent as well, he is still a young kid, so... As with Gomez, who I'm sure we'll get onto shortly, he will need a period out of out of the team at this this season because he's still a young kid. He's developing, and we cannot expect him to play that many games at such a young age. But from what he's been doing, how he's played so far, he's been fine. He hasn't got to the levels that he did towards the end of last season, the games against Man City in the European Cup and whatnot. But so far, so good. Yeah, one player who's probably. Been better than Trent, to be fair. Joe Gomez, just mentioned him then. There, Paul and Virgil van Dijk. Is this the partnership that Liverpool are going to go forward for, go forward with for a long time, given what we've seen in the first four games? Well, we did a piece yesterday, didn't we, Paul, along we with um, Steve and yeah, Steve Grayson from from the news team. The uh, <laughs> Gomez has arguably been the story of Liverpool season so far, and I think I'd, if I was marking him, I'd absolutely be giving him a nine out of ten. I think he even got a kind of mythical ten from some people for his performance at Leicester uh, last weekend. He, he has been terrific and really starting to kind of like build on that kind of promise he showed in the first couple of um, his early games in Liverpool, which is about three years ago now when he was playing at left-back. That being said, I'm a big fan, as I know my colleague Mr Philbin is of... King Dejan. King Dejan, <laughs> as Philbin christened him a few years ago when the jury was still pretty much out and, you know, um, on... on the Croatians used to uh, to Liverpool, and you know Van Dijk and and, and Gomez have looked great together so far. But it's, you've got to remember, Liverpool played four games in what we're all hoping is going to be a 55, 60 game season. We are going to need more than two quality centre backs. Dejan Lovren is a quality centre back, and I do think he gives us something slightly different to Van Dijk and Gomez. A bit more aggressive, bit more emotional, bit more a passionate defender, and I think that's you know important to forget that you know. The, the second half of last season, Van Dijk and Lovren struck up a very effective partnership that took Liverpool to the brink of the sixth European Cup. So, you know, I, th- um, I, think, I think Joe Gomez has got a huge future in the Liverpool defence. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if the season goes on, whether it's through injuries or whatever, he might get the odd run out of full-back still. He is now looking like the centre-back we all thought he'd be. But um, one thing I'd like... I'd, I'd probably say I'd, Van Dijk probably wouldn't give him higher than a seven. He's had a steady start, if nothing else. I'm just sitting here now thinking about him before we started talking, you know, working way mentally through the squad there. It occurred to me that maybe if he's not been quite at the very high levels he set off last season, he might his, his body might still just be adjusting to a first-ever Jurgen Klopp pre-season. Um, not that he's looked particularly slow or knackered or anything, but he's just not... A, a couple, I mean, I, I do think as well, the way he plays, he's very, very laid-back. And basically, as a Celtic fan said a while back, the kind of, he is good. 
but there will be times when, like, you know, the old saying, so laid back, he's almost horizontal. <laughs> it, it could possibly apply there. I think sometimes he always needs to be jolted out of that kind of serene mentality, which is why I, th- why I think sometimes it's good for him to play with Lovren, because I kind of think they both may- need to make sure they're on the ball for each other. Um, what I want, what I think is really important for for this season, for the rest to have a successful campaign, is go- is more goals from the back. You know, the, the we are getting better at set pieces, but you know, I I kind of think your defenders you've got to be looking for looking for five each. Yeah, we all well say we all. Apart from Martin Skirtle, he's scored about a hundred a season. <laughs> well, he did eventually. He did it, but you know, it took him about. I reckon it took about two or three years to score his first Liverpool goal because he came with a reputation of being a big goal scoring mm. defender. And then, I'm sure, it was Man City at home, he ended up getting scoring a few against City. Mm. It took him a long time to get his first Liverpool goal, but once he did, he. He got going. I mean, I'm of a generation that can remember Derek Mountfield scoring 14 league goals for Everton when they won the title in the 80s. And maybe those kind of numbers are a little bit unrealistic. But we got 90, you know, nearly 100 goals from the front three last year. I think we'll get plenty this year. But you, you need goals from all around the pitch. So ultimately, they're paid to keep the ball out of the net. But if they can pop a few in, then it's all it won't hurt. Paul, I was watching the game. You were there on Saturday. I think it's master and apprentice, isn't it, Van Dijk and Gomez? But to me, Gomez was kind of showing Van Dijk the way almost on, on Saturday with his performance. It just looked really, really assured for a young lad. <laughs> it really was, yeah. Um, what is great so far this season and with the partnership is, apart from Leicester, where Gomez um, was the better of the two, Van Dijk has been talking Gomez through the game. You see, you see it like from where I am in the ground in the cop. You can see Van Dijk dishing out the orders, and that can only help uh, Joe Gomez's game. And there's going to be times this season where he'll get found out, as Van Dijk will. But we will need Lovren at some point this season, and as I agree with that, what Dan said, he is another he's another quality centre half that we've got that can come in. But for Gomez, everybody knew he had disability, and I think. Just into right back, and even the short, what, what was it, three or four games he played at left back in his first season at Liverpool? That helps you as a defender because you, as a centre half, you will have to cover all, part, all parts of that back line at some point because your full backs will get caught out and whatnot. And knowing that positional sense is so important, and you only learn that by playing in the positions which he has. So it's great. And with what Dan said about Van Dyke there. That he's been steady. I think he's been brilliant apart from Leicester. The performance against Crystal Palace in particular it was. Mm. I go as far as saying it's the best performance from centre half in the Liverpool yet that I've seen for years. I can't. I, he won absolutely everything. I see Dan's face there. <laughs> I'm only pulling a bit of a face because he, he was great, and I, I, I very much remember kind of like those last few minutes when we were under pressure. And when those balls are coming through the box, and he he's like a magnet to it every time. All I would say is, you know, not not nothing against Crystal Palace. I think on oh, a bad side, and Zaha's a good player. You know, he has and will face bigger tests. Oh, we will, yeah. In 100%. terms of the quality of the opposition, but um, no, it, it was. I was maybe a little bit harsh there because he's not exactly been poor in any of the games. I think it's just by the kind of the sky high standards he already set himself. It just looks like he's feeling his way into the season a little bit for me, but. Let's talk about the players who sit in front of the back four. And it's, it's it's the one place that there's been a change by Jurgen Klopp in these first four games. The number six is probably the modern parlance, isn't it, for a defensive mm-hmm. midfielder. Genie Wijnaldum and then 
Jordan Henderson was brought in on Saturday to play alongside Wijnaldum. Let, let's start with Genie Wijnaldum. What, what have you been your verdict on him so far? He's such an enigma, isn't he? I mean, I, I do like Wijnaldum and, and kind of I got a little bit given down the banks last year or the year before when I kind of like compared compared him to Graham Souness. Now, I'll qualify that because obviously Graham Souness is arguably the greatest midfielder in Liverpool's history. But it it just... That first season, and obviously these were largely performances at home, and that, of course, is the huge kind of like question mark about Wijnaldum. He's almost like two different players at Anfield and away from Anfield. But at his best, he has this dynamism that can really kind of stamp a personality all over the all over the middle of the park. And he's done that in, in a number of games at Anfield since he's been at the club. And obviously, what one of the finest examples was the Brighton game, the third of the four third of the four league games Liverpool have played so far this season when he, by and large, ran the show and there was obviously the stat going around and everyone saw that like he only misplaced one out of about 83 passes during the course of the whole game. But he needs to start doing it away from home. You know, at the end of the day, if Liverpool is to be successful, much though Am- as much as Anfield is one of our greatest assets and can and will be channelled to, to help us get where we need to be, you, you've got to be able to do it away from home as well. And He's had the odd decent game here and there and obviously scored a crucial goal in the Stadio Olimpico in Rome to help get to that European Cup final. But it's just that, you know, unfortunately at Leicester, having had the great 20, you know, 20 minutes along with the rest of the side, it seemed to be, and it's a little bit unfair to blame one person's one error on the kind of the the, the game changing, but it did. When he, he kind of made a bit of a soft pass in the centre circle, Leicester broke. It didn't lead to a goal or anything. Mm. But it's when you look at, when you watch the game back, that seems to be the point where all of a sudden Leicester came Liverpool's dominant scene to end. So I, I, I'd say I, I, after that one, Alden's performance did deteriorate. I think did he get he did get a sub second half, didn't he? Or did I imagine that? I think he might have done. If he didn't, he did, he should, probably should have done. <laughs> um, but you know, there, there, there's a lot more to come from him. I think you know what I mean. He's, he's still reasonably young, still only in his mid twenties. But you know, he's now in the start of his third season at Anfield, and you know those kind of you know, it's time to really kind of really kick on. And I'm looking, looking and hoping for some big performances from him, particularly away from Anfield. Jordan Henderson as well. Hendo. You know, he, he, let's face it, Paul. He, he divides opinion in the Liverpool fan base, maybe nationally when it comes to the New England team, and sometimes in this room as well. But yeah. has Jordan Henderson proved with his substitute appearances again what an important player he is for Liverpool? Well, me and Dan were talking about this. Oh, earlier this week wasn't he? And I was saying that um, I've been quite impressed with Henderson this season when he's come on. The I know, yeah. Generally, <laughs> quite physical of him. Yeah, um, well, he's come on in games when it's when it's we've needed somebody just to be there and um, just take control. Crystal Palace, especially, like head turned down to me, but over in the ground went. He's been brilliant. Did he come on? Like he. And not many people picked up on it, which surprised me, but he just got the ball and just passed it. And, like, in games like that, when we were 1-0 up, you just need that. Because if we start panicking going for all these crazy balls that he has tried in the past a few times, and that really frustrates me, that can um, that can affect the team and it could lose his points. But... It's like he's found the, the the brain that he's to play in that number six role all of a sudden. Like he's got the work rate, right? there's no doubt about that. But now I think he's actually thinking about his game and 
if he can continues the way he has done so far this season, then he is a starter for me. But we'll wait and see. An Anfield Plus podcast from the Liverpool Echo. An Anfield Plus podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Who, who, if he comes back for Tottenham, and then the, this crazy run that we're going to get into in a little bit later, whose place does he take then? If he comes in against Tottenham. Or stays in, I should say, because yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, he played, yeah, so part of me played start. against Leicester. But you know, if Cater comes back in, who drops out? I don't want to say Cater because you know I think you know I think we need him in the team. You know he hasn't he hasn't pulled up a million trees so far, but he, you know he, he's 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 done quite well, seven out of ten, I'd say. The only way he's going to get better is by playing. Um, you know, when we were picking the bones out of the game at Leicester, um, you know it was. You know, and all the coach approaching these Midlands on Saturday lunchtime and kind of hearing that midfield, you know, that is the same midfield that, you know, got us to Kiev, but wasn't good enough to get us over the line. I think we all felt during the summer, you know, midfield is an area that we need to look at. And I think in the aftermath of Leicester, I think I've, I've said myself and a few people said, you know, can you, do you really want Henderson and Milner at the same team, in the same team at the same time? Milner's been outstanding. Has does he need a bit of a rest now? Is it time to give Henderson a little bit of a go and let you know, let Miller get his breath back? Although of course, by the time the Tottenham game comes around, he'll have had two weeks off from Leicester. Apart from yeah, the charity game that he Apart from the charity yeah, game, yeah, yeah. Fistilian Petrov at the weekend up at Celtic, which is you know a great venture, and I hope it hope it gets the the, the, the support it deserves. We're sure it will. Um, it's a hard one, isn't it? Um, I can to be honest, you know, even if they didn't do that well, I think he might. I think he might drop Wijnaldum at Tottenham. I think he might play Henderson and Milner, but with Keita. Yeah, I'm right in thinking that the midfield three last year was Milner, Wijnaldum, and, and Henderson, Henderson yeah. at Tottenham, and we just got oh, overrun in, in that match. I, I wouldn't. I'm sure it was at the top of me because I, I can remember coming off the ground fuming that the three of them were playing together. I mean, to like, was, the, that was the mid, that was the midfield three for a lot of the mm-hmm. season, wasn't it? Yeah, there weren't an awful lot of other options there, were there? Really? No, that's right, but. For me personally, I'd have Kaita back in. I think he, yeah. I, he's got something different to what our other three midfielders don't have. And again, when he came on against Leicester, he showed things up. But I, I didn't, I, not that I didn't know he, he had that in him, but because I haven't watched him much apart from his few appearances for Liverpool so far. But from what. I've seen of him so far. It was on the front foot. Let's go. But he just come on and he was controlling again. I for me, I'd leave Henderson out of Tottenham. I'd stick to keep Wijnaldum in because if you're playing well, keep him in. Well, just to back that up, Wijnaldum didn't play at didn't Tottenham know. last year. The, 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 the midfield three at Tottenham last year was Henderson, Milner and Emre Chan. Of course it was. Oh, yeah. right. Forgot about him. Forgotten about him. <laughs> I'm not going to gloss over James Milner because hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, we will have, you might have listened to another one. I spoke to Stephen Warnock in the week and big friend of his, ahead of the, the match for cancer, and he gave us a really interesting insight into him. So, no offence, James, I think we're well covered with, with how well you've done. I think everyone agrees that he's been outstanding, certainly in this last season and a half since he's been playing in midfield. Let's go to the front three. The, the front three that are struggling... 
seven goals between yeah, them. One finished, of them a top scorer. Salah scores two. Doesn't score against Palace, but <laughs> has two major game-changing moments. It's not bad to be struggling in with those kind of stats. They're terrible problems to be having at the top of the league, as Bill Shankly once said, aren't they? Um, I mean, obviously, listen, we want to be top after 38 games, not four. When I was growing up, they didn't even print a league table till <laughs> three. Nowadays, they've got one up after the first Friday night game when 18 out of the 20 teams haven't played, haven't they? Um, you know, the bar's been set so ridiculously high by the near century of goals that they scored between them last season. Um, they've all got off the mark now. I'm glad Bobby Firmino got his header at, uh, at Leicester to break his little duck. I, I mean, going through them one by one, I, 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 I'm sure many people always kind of expected there to be a little bit of a an after effect for Mo Salah, not just after this, you know, not just because of the injury that obviously put a cloud over the Champions League final and the World Cup for him, but also the fact that you know the, the it, he, he hasn't got the surprise factor anymore. I'm not, I don't want to use the kind of rather tedious, cliched second season second season syndrome tag, but you know it, the best players are the best because they constantly find ways to adapt. And just slightly tweak their game to because the game's always changed, the game's always moving. The best players are able to do that, and I've got no doubt in my mind whatsoever that that Mo will be able to do that. But you know, physically, psychologically, there was bound to be a little bit of a hangover. Obviously, he's had his own issues going on as well with all the stuff with the Egyptian FA, which probably a bit of a, a bit of an unnecessary and unpleasant distraction for him. But he still scored two, and he's just a threat, isn't he? Whenever 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 the ball's anywhere near, whenever he's he's anywhere near the opposition penalty area, even if he's not necessarily doing anything with it. You just know this, that seed of doubt is sown in the opposition mind. So I've got no qualms whatsoever in expecting him to have another very successful season and you know, looking hopefully of upwards of 25, 30 goals. Sadio Mane, I was given absolute pelters down the banks before the season started for saying that he might be the top Premier League goal scorer. And who's top of the, the charts at the moment with a, with a whopping four and four? Did you have money on him? I put I it on the record. Well, I, no, I didn't. I, I mean, I never bet on Liverpool because it's like a double whammy. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't pay off. But I know there's uh, one or two of my friends and colleagues in this office have taken some taken advantage. Mr. Of some, Walsh. Mr. Walsh in particular, who has taken advantage of some generous odds from the bookies. Um, his all-round game looks in good nick as well. He looks hungry, looks mean and lean and really ready to kind of build on two good seasons even though obviously his first season were kind of decimated a little bit by injury and international absences I mean there is this little nagging doubt in the back of my mind he hasn't signed a new deal he's two years from the end of his contract and you know the little devil the, the little annoying devil on my shoulders going I hope he's not playing for a move um, I, I don't think he is I think he's just a young footballer that's enjoying his football playing for a good team and wants to improve and be successful um, and I think he I think at the end of the day if Liverpool is successful why is Sadio Mane going to need to go anywhere if, if if we fulfil all the the promise that's there, he has no need to go anywhere else. Bobby Firmino, quickly, um, I love him. To me, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Um, he's never going to be getting the headlines of the goals or the numbers that the other two are. And he's had a slowish start, but obviously he was involved with, even though it's disgracefully, or well, disgracefully, but yeah, well, cost costly for Brazil. He hardly played in it, and but you know, Gabriel Jesus is not a bad player. I don't think he scored in the World Cup, did he, even though he started every single game. But again, similar similar to I think a lot of players, not just in Liverpool, but around the around the country. And you know, you often see this after a tournament summer. It can take players a while to get out of the system. You know, they they have a rest, then they come back into pre season when pre season's always been going on. 
and it's always a bit of a funny one and sometimes it can take players till the autumn sometimes even till the new year to get right back up to their top level but you know I don't think there's many clubs in this country or around Europe that w- that wouldn't be envious of our front three and we're lucky to have them so let's treasure them Firmino Paul is he, is he playing a bit deeper this season? I thought that uh, watching them I was it reminded me a bit no, of when Coutinho started playing deeper um, and it's like he's coming for the ball where he should just stick to what he was doing last season I don't know if it's something that Klopp's trying having him deeper and then the other two going further forward and wide I don't know but part of me is worried about Firmino I don't know why what? because I absolutely love him mm. like uh, uh, since since that Chelsea game when we beat them 3-1 Benteke come on I, was, I can remember the club starting him on top I was like Firmino up front and then he was brilliant that day and ever since then then fell in love with the fella but his touch seems off he seems a little slow it, it could be the, the hangover from the World Cup but yeah, touch jaded he played a lot of yeah. games last season yeah. didn't he but also it's the way he plays as well yeah, yeah it's, it's all very, intense it's a very, not just physically but mentally he's such a clever player when I was a while back I was watching like, the Man City second leg in the Champions League and you know, even that first half, we were under real pressure at times. It was horrible to watch it. You know, I was sitting in with the Man City fans as well. But there was a couple of times, and even in that first half when we were really under, under the thumb, his, his hold-up play is so smooth, so intelligent. You know what I mean? He's got it all up there. To me, to me, he's Liverpool's key player. So I just think we have to be patient with him and a few others that kind of like it. They will hit their straps, yeah. but it's going to take them a little while. The front three will eventually click, and once it clicks, then more than seven in four games. Yeah, <laughs> not bad. Uh, honorary mentions eh, to Daniel Sturridge and Jordan Shakiri. That probably leads me on to the the second part of this podcast. I think we've all seen the run. I think seven games in twenty two days, if I'm right yeah. to say that. Starting at Tottenham on uh, Saturday the fifteenth before the Champions League kicks on, kicks in, which we'll we'll talk about again in a second. Are we now going to see the the real strength of this Liverpool squad that we all believe is there in depth? Well, we'll find out, won't we? I mean, because it's not just the volume of games; it's the nature of them. You know, starting away to Tottenham and finishing at home to Man City. Probably the two, you know, two of the hardest Champions League games as well. Home to Paris, away to Napoli. Um, you know, along with two matches against Chelsea, <laughs> who have also have they won it? They have won every game, haven't they? Yes, yeah, they yeah. yeah. It, 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 despite a lot of people kind of writing them off a little bit before the season started, and uh, Mark Hughes bringing his Southampton team to Anfield, and you know, useless as the cop always used to christen him back in the day. We'll never, we'll never bring a bring a team that's going to just lay, lay down and die. But this is what you want. This is this is what you know. This is if you've got the expectations and the aspirations that Liverpool have. Um, these are the kind of and this is why you know we've got the why they've spent the money they've got, why they've developed and brought through the players that they have to be able to cope with this. So it's intriguing to see how it's all gonna um, gonna play out. And it's unfortunately we've just got to kind of go through the purgatory of an international break before we get back to real business in eight days. Well, next weekend. Yeah. Dan, spot on again. Um, we will see the centre Liverpool, the current squad, and it's a lot better than we're in a better position than we were last season, one hundred percent. But Manchester City are in the same boat. They've got tough games. Tottenham will be in the same boat. 
all the other sides are in the same boat. So <laughs> you've got to play everyone twice. That's the the cliche. Just bring it on. I'm sure the same eleven won't play all seven games. You'd imagine when we come to the Chelsea game in the cup, we'll see. Uh, a few of the young lads, maybe the likes of that Curtis Jones might get it running out. You don't know, so it's gonna it's gonna be fun. And if you get if you're in the middle of September and you're stressing about games, it's a good thing. Well said. We won't concentrate too much on that Tottenham game or the league because I'm sure in the build up to it we'll have lots of coverage online obviously and, and on all the podcasts that we do so let's have a little talk about the Champions League draw because we haven't had the chance to do that before um, as you say by the time we come back in a couple of weeks time we'll have had the first game so Paris Saint-Germain Napoli Red Star Belgrade what's your take on it exciting daunting certainly moody isn't it it's one of those away games <laughs> it's a lively draw I mean I was made up with it to be honest because I've got a few pals who have kind of been quite cynical about the Champions League in years gone by it's like the same old same suspects PSV, Marseille, Atletico Madrid, same old again and again. We've got a few names here that we haven't played in a long, long time. Um, Red Star, Belgrade, we haven't played since go back to the 70s. And 73, then, wasn't it? 73, and it's kind of like quite an iconic fixture in Liverpool's European history, really, because it's re- reputedly that was um, the kind of game that made... Well, Bill Shankly retired at the end of last season, and there's always been that feeling that kind of like it was that... Was, it was that, I think they beat us 2-1 in both legs, the manager called Miljan Miljanic, things that stick in your mind. But it was playing them that made Liverpool realise that they need to kind of develop more of a possession-based approach. And obviously it took a couple of years to kind of click into place, but three years later, obviously, they were champions of Europe and that began that kind of seven-year dominance when we won the four European Cups in a very short space of time. Um, Paris Saint-Germain are kind of like, you know, the uh, the new kids on the block in terms of the European scene, aren't they? Since, since they got bought out by the Qatar people a few years ago, they've bought some big-name players. And they, you, you, can sen- you can sense they're desperate to kind of, like, strong-arm their way into kind of like the European elite, but they haven't kind of managed to do it yet. You know, they obviously they got... Um, a couple of years ago, where you know, I think if they'd not Barcelona, I think there was a feeling they could have gone all the way there, and then they got they basically blew a four goal lead. Um, you locked them out last year, was it Juventus? I think it was Juventus. Sorry, it was Real Madrid. Barcelona. It was Real Madrid, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah Real Madrid drew them in the last sixteen. I remember thinking, interesting tie that. You know, if if Paris can kind of knock Madrid out, you'd fancy them. Maybe this is your, this is their year. So it's a it's a tough match for Liverpool, that, and I think particularly with the first game being at home, first European match after Kiev, we'll all be turning up expecting. Liverpool to carry on where they left off and Paris I think will be very much looking to make a statement so they've got obviously got some really good players Neymar Kylian Mbappe uh, Cavani Di Maria um, it should be a really mouth-watering match um, that, that opening that opening group game and then Napoli of course who um, haven't you know because of Juventus' dominance haven't haven't got many titles under the belt but I think they get nine, over 90 points last season it was something it's like 92 yeah. points and still didn't win the league so they're a good side with good players and obviously they've lost the manager Sarri to Chelsea and it remains to be seen how that's affected them but um, it is a, it's a tasty draw and I think maybe in some ways it'll be an advantage to Liverpool because sometimes when you've particularly when you've done so well the year before and everyone's kind of like used to these high octane games maybe some of the players and fans might, would struggle to get up if, if it was just you know, less uh, exciting fixtures, but I think with these Liverpool, no, they're gonna have to be on the metal from the off. Yeah, it could have been a lot easier. It yeah, could have been a lot harder. Um, 
there was when the draw was being made, it was either going to be PSG and um, Napoli or Atletico Madrid and Dortmund. So either way, we, right. we were going to have big games. In my eyes, with we are the second seeded team in that in the in the group. We are better than Napoli. I'm not saying we might well, even be better than PSG. And the Napoli could, chairman's comments this week. Yeah, Liverpool. Yeah. How the hell are Liverpool in pot three? <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. Um, so we're massive, we're favourites to go through, and it's good that we'll get exciting nights at Anfield so early on in the season because. Last season, the severe game was a bit of a strange one because everyone wanted to get payback on over them after the Europa League final, but it didn't have the feeling of a big European night. But whereas PSG comes to town, first game in the European Cup since Kiev, that's got that's got the feeling of a special night. And I I, I said in the podcast last season, you're coming to Anfield on a European night on your bike, mate. You've got no chance, kind of thing. So. It, that might come back to haunt me, I don't know. But, yeah, it, we should go through. The, the trips abroad are going to be interesting, to say <laughs> the least. Um, yeah, like, you can't take much from pre-season, but when we play Napoli in Dublin, I know they were a week or two behind us, but you could see the difference there was in uh, quality. And, yeah, bring it on. I think uh, Neymar and Cole are in for a bit of a surprise when they turn up at Anfield. Yeah, I think we'll have to quickly address those Neymar comments. Is that a, a player, a person who's trying to wind Liverpool up before the ball's even been kicked? He seems like a bit of a wind-up merchant anyway. I, mean, I, I can't imagine he's given it that much thought, to be honest. I think he was asked the question, he gave his answer. He's not going to go out of his... You know, if, he, if that's what he thinks, then good luck to him. I mean, obviously Liverpool cut a bit of a sway through Europe last season. Maybe he thinks it was a flash in the pan. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but... I think it was going to be a it was going to be a tasty atmosphere in Anfield the week on Tuesday anyway. That might ratchet it up a degree or two, but I think in 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 the grander scheme of things, most Liverpool supporters going into the ground that night will be wanting to see their team perform rather than being particularly bothered about something that Neymar said in the press a couple a couple of weeks beforehand. Um, if he starts rolling around on the ground, as obviously he did a couple of times during the World Cup, and to be fair, making a bit of a holy show of himself. Then, um, then some of the uh, the ribald comments cascading down from the stands make my make reference to that, but um, it's the modern game, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Every comment is dissected and analysed and has a bit of a spin put on it. But uh, I think it was probably a little bit of a throwaway remark. But um, let's hope he's proved wrong in May. He's obviously not been watching Man United so far this season, anyway. Has he to put them in the no. top four? But I think we were talking about this in one of the other pods over the last couple of days, and kind of I think it was Paul Gorse said the fact that yeah, if people want to carry on underestimating Liverpool, sound. Yeah, that is, I'll have that. Yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> like last season, almost. Yeah, yeah. And Paul, you, you'll be there, home and away, particularly the away games. You've got all your trips booked, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Is the Belgrade one for you the one that stands out, or you're you looking for more forward to Paris and, and to Naples? I don't know if you can look forward to Naples, I'm not to be honest. <laughs> and I've heard of Paris, supposedly not well, the best yeah. at times. Certainly <laughs> by the ground. Yeah, I'm... Uh, but I can't wait for Belgrade. It's going to be a load of fun. Um, it'll be cold. It's November in Serbia. I can't, I can't imagine that being uh, too pleasant. And I don't it's know... get the flares going, anyway. Well, yeah, I was just about to say. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not an expert on Serbian football, but I have since... The draw was made. I have had a look at a few of the videos. See how loud I can I can expect. What can I, I can expect over there? And 
I'm looking forward to it. I, to be honest, I can't wait for Naples. I can't wait to get back on those trips. Like that's what football's about. At the end of the day, you can get three points, but having a laugh with your mates is nothing better. I think that's a good point to end this uh, podcast on. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll be back after the Paris Saint-Germain game where we'll we'll look at the Tottenham match and obviously that first Champions League group stage game. Uh, just a reminder to anyone listening to this show or any of the uh, spin-off shows or obviously the main show, Blood Red, on the Blood Red channel just to review, rate and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, lads. Cheers. Cheers, Paul. Cheers soon. Up the Reds. You've been listening to an Anfield Plus podcast on the LFC Echo app.